This is Living Hope with Pastor Claude Stoffer of Calvary Chapel Hope. You know, there's prayer that's corporate prayer when the church comes together to pray. There's individual prayer like Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 6 where we go in into a closet or into a, a place by ourselves, shut the door behind us, and then he says that God who sees in secret will reward us openly. Okay, so when we pray for things secretly and we don't tell people about it and then the Lord answers those prayers, wow, what an incredible strengthening to our faith takes place because we see, yeah, wow, God, you really are real and you really do answer prayer. In today's message, Pastor Claude will remind us of the power and importance of prayer in the life of every believer. When you humble yourself before God, submit to His will, and request His help, He will not ignore you. He may not come through in the exact way you imagine, but rest assured, He will come through. Now here's Pastor Claude in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Followers of Jesus. Well, we're continuing our study, Ready for His Return. We've entitled our study of 1 Thessalonians, Ready for His Return, because at the conclusion of each of the five chapters in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he makes reference to the return of Jesus Christ. And so he was emphasizing that to them. And remember, the Thessalonians were people who were the product or the fruit of a ministry that was, that was merely three weeks long, three Sabbaths, it tells us. In Acts chapter 17, Paul ministered, and so a church was birthed through that ministry of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Thessalonica. We're looking at chapter 1, which we've entitled, Followers of Jesus Ready for His Return. And we're going to be looking at some of the characteristic aspects of these Thessalonians and why Paul could commend them the way he did. We've already been looking at the first two verses, and we looked at those and we said that we're right from the start we see that this is something that God has done. God is the one who has, has wrought this church. God is the one who has worked here. We looked and saw that the work that God does or the, what God had wrought at Thessalonica began when he assembled a ministry team, okay, of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Then in the next part of verse 1, we see what God had wrought at Thessalonica, he did by grace and peace. And it's not uncommon for Paul to introduce his letters with the words grace and peace to you. The order of that is very important because grace always precedes peace. You can't have the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. And we talked about that. Then the thing that we noted is that what God had wrought at Thessalonica, he did by a right revelation theology. And what I mean by that is when you look at the first two verses here, what you see is twice Paul repeats the same phrase. He uses the phrase, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that little conjunction there, you know, conjunction, junction, you remember the old studies there when you, when you were te- watching, maybe you're watching it for yourself, maybe you were watching it with your kids or whatever, but when they're teaching you English, a conjunction is something that connects, right? It connects together. And so the Apostle Paul uses this conjunction and to connect God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now why is that important? It's important because what it does was, is that while God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are two separate, distinct persons. They are equal. So it's a a statement about the deity of Jesus Christ. And then later on in verse 5, which we'll look at in a few moments, we see the introduction by Paul of reference to the Holy Spirit. 
So here's this church, this young church, this new babe in Christ church that was ministered to or the product of only three weeks of ministry by the Apostle Paul. Already they have a well-grounded understanding of the nature of God. That's what theology is. Theology is merely the study of God. Theos being God, ology being the study of, the study of God. So when you hear the word theology, you don't run for cover. It's just what we do. All the time when we go to the Word, we're learning about the Lord. And so we see Paul's statement here, reference to the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not three gods. That's polytheism. No, it's it's monotheism. There's one God in three persons, and those three persons are separate and distinct and relate amongst each other. It's not one God who then who first appears as God the Father in the Old Testament, then he appears as Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and then he appears as the Holy Spirit. That's modalism, all right? That's, that's incorrect. It's God has always existed as one God in three persons, okay? A triune God or a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay? And Paul, this is something that Paul had taught, evidently, and could use in reference in a letter to the Thessalonians. The next thing we saw was that what God had wrought at Thessalonica, he did by prayer. The Thessalonians were a product or an answer to Paul's prayer, right? It tells us in verse 2 that Paul said, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul, if you look at the apostle Paul, he was a tremendous prayer warrior. He was a man of prayer. And really, when you look in the Bible and you look historically, the people that God uses are always, without, without fail, connected to the Lord in prayer, declaring your dependence upon the Lord in prayer. Later on, at the end of this epistle, in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul is going to, in a series of exhortations, going to exhort the Thessalonians to what? Pray without ceasing. And there's different kinds of prayer. There's that ongoing conversation in prayer that we have throughout the day, of each day, all right, where we, we have a conversation with the Lord. At least I hope you do. You know, I mean, I know nowadays, you know, you walk in the mall or you're walking somewhere and somebody's talking and it doesn't look like they're talking to anybody, but they got one of these little uh, gadgets in their ears so that they can just talk and, and it, you know, they don't get, you know, the white men in the white coats don't come and get them and cart them away because they're talking on the phone. But... As Christians, we should have an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Pray without ceasing. You know, every moment of every day, every decision we make, no matter how trivial we think it is, we should be submitting that to the Lord. Oh, Lord, lead me. Oh, Lord, strengthen me. Show me the way I ought to go. You know, and just in that constant submission to the Lord, that declaration of dependence on the Lord in prayer. You know, there's prayer that's corporate prayer when the church comes together to pray. There's individual prayer like Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 6 where we go in into a closet or into a a place by ourselves, shut the door behind us, and then he says that God who sees in secret will reward us openly. Okay, so when we pray for things secretly and we don't tell people about it and then the Lord answers those prayers, wow, what an incredible strengthening to our faith takes place because we see, yeah, wow, God, you really are real and you really do answer prayer. There's intercession, which is praying for others. There's supplication, which is pouring out your heart before the Lord with great emotion before the Lord. There's a lot of ways to pray, but we need to be people of prayer. I read this quote to you, and I'll reread it now, the quote from E.M. Bounds. And if you want a good 
author to read about prayer. E.M. Bounds is a great author. He has a number of books. There were short books. He was an old Methodist holiness preacher. The drum that he beat was a drum that was a, a prayer drum. He wanted people to pray, and he talked so much about prayer. But in one of his books, he writes, those who know God the best are the richest and most powerful in prayer. You know, really, your prayer life, if you want to know where you are at with the Lord, really, genuinely, truly, look at your own personal prayer life, you know. And dear old Pastor Claude is not going to go running around looking to catch you and see whether or not you're praying. You know what your prayer life is like. And your prayer life is a barometer of where you are spiritually. Okay, if you never pray, well, what does that tell you? Pray. Someone has said, I think it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr., said that prayer is like breathing to the Christian. You know, so if you don't pray, then you're suffocating, you know, and, you, and you're dying out. He went on to say, little acquaintance with God and strangeness and coldness to him make prayer a rare and feeble thing. So, you know, if you're not praying, well, you know, I encourage you to, to take a step of faith and really revisit the importance of prayer and to cultivate that prayer life. I want to read something else to you about prayer by uh, a fellow, an old church father by the name of Chrysostom. He was known as the golden-tongued orator. He's a great, great speaker, greatly used by the Lord. But I want to read something to you that he wrote about prayer. You'll see why they called him the golden-tongued orator when I read this to you. He said, the potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire. It had bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-efficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Wow, that's a pretty neat description of the importance and the value of prayer. So I encourage, if you leave here with nothing today other than, wow, Lord, I need to be praying. I, I need to be taking advantage of this great gift of prayer that you've, you've provided for us. If, if you walk out of here with nothing but that, then this will have been a meaningful day and an important day uh, for you. But now we see in verse 5, what God had wrought at Thessalonica was a powerful work of the Spirit. And really, this is key to the entire work and really the entire work of all of the New Testament. When you look at verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul wrote, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so we see that Paul says here, right from, the, right from the start, in his introductory words in this letter, that the work or the people that they had become, the church that they had become, were a product of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we look in the book of Acts, we see that, that prior to Pentecost, we see a fearful, we see a failing we see a frustrated disciples or followers of Jesus. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, in, in answer to the promise of the Father, which Jesus references in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 of the book of Acts, and then in chapter 8 describes as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, he said. Dunamis. 
dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. Power to live a holy life. Power to serve the Lord. Power to know the Lord. Power in everything spiritual comes from that outpoured Holy Spirit upon us, that baptism with the Holy Spirit, where it's not a question of us getting more of the Holy Spirit. When we repent of our sins and ask God to forgive us by faith alone, in the work of Christ alone, by His grace alone, provided to us as a gift. When we do that, when we ask God to forgive us based on the work of Christ, the Lord forgives us and He regenerates us. He gives us spiritual life by indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, you experience that second birth. We're physically born, we have to be spiritually born. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, though, is not a question of getting more of the Holy Spirit. You know, we think of poured out, and we think of, okay, I have a picture of the Holy Spirit, and I'm being poured out. No, it's more about us being poured out. It's not us getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting all of us. It's putting before Him our inhibitions or any, anything that we might be hindering us being used by Him. And we see the Holy Spirit poured out or coming upon Right? It's like we're totally immersed. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, look what happened in the book of Acts. The 120 that were in the upper room in obedience to the Lord, praying and waiting for that outpoured Holy Spirit, for the promise of the Father, for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that empowerment. Look what happened. The church was birthed. The church was birthed. And incredible things happened. Peter who prior to this is, you know, had, had foot-in-mouth disease. Anything he tried to do, he could in one, in one sentence confess that Jesus was the Christ and a few sentences later go against the mission that Jesus came to accomplish, which is go to the cross. And Jesus could say to him, step behind me, Satan. He was just inadequate and he was, he was, just, he was weak in his walk with the Lord. But then on Pentecost, look what happened. The Lord, when he empowered the apostle Peter, Peter stood up, gave an awesome sermon, and when it came time for the altar call or for the response, what happened? 3,000 came to know the Lord, and the church just hadn't looked back from that. Our problem is, a lot of times now, we have become so, um, so technologically advanced, so we have so many different resources, so many different capabilities, that we've left the Spirit and a lot of times we rely on our own capabilities, on our own marketing strategies, on our own church growth strategies, on our own psychoanalysis and psychological and all different types of things. When I think that a lot of our problems that we have would be solved and overcome victoriously if we would simply go to the Lord. Go to the Lord in full surrender and let His Spirit work within us. And what happens when that happens? When that happens, Christians, solid ambassadors for Christ... Pentecostal, in the truest sense of the word, Christians are birthed from that powerful, victorious, effective ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ are birthed. And churches are birthed like the church at Thessalonica. The church at Thessalonica is a product, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in and through the Apostle Paul. You know, and I, you know, if I didn't believe that Calvary Chapel of Hope was a work of the Spirit, I would not be here. I just don't have any time for that type of stuff. This one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's really, if you want to know what, what I'm about, I'm just about that. I want to, when I, before the first service we were praying, the Lord was just speaking to me and 
when I reach the end of the line and I come and stand before my Savior, I just want to be able to, to have a love gift to lay at his feet. And I know, I know in, the, in the grand scope of things to the Lord who is the ruler of the universe and, and owns everything anyways, it's no big deal, but it, it is from me to him just to show him the, the fruit of a life lived for his glory. You know, I want to have something to lay at his feet. You know, my, my family, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, the life that you live, you know, all of the things that have eternal worth, eternal significance, you know, all the things that we've, so we've sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting him to add all the other stuff. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, and all these other stuff will be added unto you. You know, that, that's what I'm all about. All about eternal. What are we doing of eternal worth? Somebody was sharing how we're talking about, wow, this guy got a 60-inch flat screen television. And man, he, he can really watch the playoffs. You know, they are, you know. I have nothing against if anybody has a 60-inch flat screen TV that they want to get rid of and, and donate, I'll be the first one in line to receive it, okay? But look, that stuff, that stuff breaks. That stuff gets outdated. You know, I used to have an 8-track, and then I, I used to have a cassette deck, and I even had a record player, date myself. I used to have a black and white television. Just look at your life in this brief hundred years or last hundred centuries. I'm not a hundred years old, but, you know, but just in the last few years, you know, what are we living for? And are we being guided by the Holy Spirit? Or are we really, you know, uh, uh, the instruments of the Holy Spirit? Are we yielded 100% to the Lord? Are our priorities His priorities? And are we, are we truly trusting in Him? That's, that's what it's all about. That, when you have a bunch of people that are, my goodness, praise the Lord. You know. <laughs> but when you have a, a group of people that come together fully surrendered to the Lord, that's when He can really do some stuff, both in us as individuals in our families, in our church that he's called us to. That's what we want. What God had wrought at Thessalonica was a a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And there's three things that we see here in this verse. Let me just read the verse again. It says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you. So the first thing we see is the gospel was powerful because it was delivered in the Holy Spirit. Paul says right from the start in that verse, he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. You know, you go to some churches and the messages, which is not to say that that we should be negligent. The pastors or preachers or teachers or whatever are negligent in their preparation. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes... It seems to me, I wonder if the same amount of attention that has been devoted to crafting a message or crafting a teaching with these, these tremendous words, are we as much devoted to praying as we are to crafting a message? You know, are we so concerned personally as individuals with the words that we're going to use to share the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what we're concerned about? I don't know what I'll say, right? How many people have been hesitant about sharing the gospel because I don't know what to say? I don't know what to say. Well, Paul here is telling us, he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. 
The Lord can take someone that has no education, that can barely talk, and he can win a soul for Christ. He can use such a person. The history is filled with people. It's not merely ability that the Lord is looking for. He's looking for availability. Are you available to be used by him? And the word dunamis there, the word power is translated from the Greek term dunamis. We get an English word dynamite from that. And it means the power to move, the power to do. That's really what power is. It's, a power, it's an enabling to do what the Lord wants us to do. You know, we should always be praying, Lord, make me all I need to be to do all you've called me to do for your glory until your return. That's a good way to pray. Empower me, Lord. Empower me. And when God calls us to do something, he will empower us to do it. And notice here it says, but also empower, comma, and. There is another conjunction, right? And in the Holy Spirit. So this power comes, all right, is connected to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because you remember earlier in the beginning, it said in the beginning of verse 1, he says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we commented that when you see the little preposition in there, it's making reference to a relationship with. They had a relationship with God. And we, to have the power of the Holy Spirit, have to have a relation with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in uh, John chapters 14, 15, and 16 in his teaching on the Holy Spirit, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me. The only way we can know the Lord Jesus Christ is by the witness of the Holy Spirit that's in us. And so we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always pushing Jesus to the forefront, but we shouldn't neglect the Holy Spirit. Okay? We ask Him to be the, He's the great illuminator of the Scriptures. When you go to read your Bibles for your devotions or for whenever you read them, you should always be praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you please illuminate this to me? Would you help me to understand? He's the great teacher. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the one that comes alongside. So the first thing we see here is that the gospel is powerful because it is delivered in the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There's the conjunction again that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the power of God. It's all about the Lord. It's all His empowerment. Now, the next thing we see is that the gospel was powerful because it was delivered, Paul says, in much assurance, right? He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Now, what's he talking about there? I mean, that kind of Awkward. It sounds a little awkward. He could be referring to the assurance of the Thessalonians. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes and a person experiences the second birth, that spiritual birth of being born again, the Bible tells us very clearly that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And we're able to cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. He becomes our daddy. There's an intimacy that the Holy Spirit works there. We see that in Romans chapter 8. If you look in verse 14 and following there. But the Holy Spirit bears witness that we belong to the Lord. You've been listening to Living Hope, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Hope. We pray today's teaching in the book of 1 Thessalonians has blessed you, challenged you, and brought you closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Do you have any questions about the message you just heard or about the Bible in general? We'd be happy to talk with you more. Please call us at 631-789-4837. That's 631-789-4837. We'd also like to invite you to join Pastor Claude and the congregation of Calvary Chapel of Hope for our weekly worship services. We're meeting in person and have specific guidelines in place to keep everyone safe as we worship together. Please check out calvarychapelofhope.org for the latest information and service times. If you're not comfortable or able to join us in person, that's fine. You can still participate in our gatherings virtually through our YouTube channel or by tuning in to WGSS 89.3 FM. We're excited to worship with you however you're able to join us. Again, information can be found at calvarychapelofhope.org. That's all we have for today on Living Hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.